You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Thank you so much for everything that you've given us. Thank you for your word, and thank you for Ecclesiastes. Lord, when I first um, really read it, it was kind of a shock factor for me, but um, it's so so helped me understand um, true joy and true satisfaction can only, only come in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray you guide us through your word now as we walk through it, that you'd give me clarity of speech and wisdom as I try to explain this to us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is actually pretty famous. I'm thankful to the birds and their song, Turn, Turn, Turn. Now, um, I I actually had this in my notes, and before I posted the graphic on Facebook, and then somebody commented on the graphic with that song um, from YouTube, Turn, Turn, Turn. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, And while, actually, if you listen to the song, all but six words are right from the text. And so I actually read this past week that they give a portion of their royalties to Israel because they're like, yeah, we pretty much took all of the words from that song. So I thought that was kind of cool. But even though they use a lot of scripture in their song, I think their approach to the passage wasn't quite what Solomon was trying to get at. I think they're trying to tell you like, hey, there's just a season. You just got to get through it. And and hey, there's we can just get through it together. Let's just work through it. And and we can't really do anything about it. So let's work through it. But I think Solomon is trying to point out instead that, no, these are actually things that were appointed by God. Um, These are things that God actually prescribed to happen to us in this life. And a key verse in understanding this um, is verse 1. And it says this, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. So Solomon's point here is that everything, okay? So if you like to circle or underline, circle or underline everything there, everything we experience as humans has an appropriate season in our lives. And then he's then going to list a bunch of the representative polar opposites to further his point. He's not giving us a list to choose from, and he's not really giving us a list that we might go through. He's just throwing out basic events that happen to all of us so that we'll understand that God has a purpose behind these things. And so we're going to walk through it and um, together just nice and slowly. So the first section, we'll call this the seasons of life, the seasons of life. So let's look at verse two. He says this, a time to be born and a time to die. Pretty simple. He, he lists out the, the bookends of our existence. He said, and you're going to start and then you're going to end. And notice that these are both completely outside of our control, right? Like we didn't choose to be born and um, some of us aren't going to choose to die. It's just going to happen and we can ingest all the essential oils in the world, but we're still going to die, right? Like we can, we can try all the new technology and things, but we will Die. It's appointed unto men once to die. And even though there's some people out there that are working really hard to try to stop that, and, and maybe if we freeze our body, and maybe we can do all these weird things, but we're fighting um, an inevitable truth that we will die. And that's what he's pointing out here. And then he goes on, he says, A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. Now these three lines, if you notice, they point out There's positive and created times in our lives, like planting, healing, building up, good. But then there's also negative and destructive times in our life, plucking out and killing and breaking down. 
And some of you are like, I feel like that latter half is more me. Like that just seems to be what I, what I have to go through. But um, some of you enjoy that latter half. Like I'm just going to break things, right? Um, I, like, I like the little kid who's like just waiting in the nursery for the other kid to build the tower so that he can just smash it down, right? Like that's just his, his like, yeah. Um, but, but Solomon's pointing out there's good times and then there's bad times. There's creative and positive times. There's negative and destructive times. And then verse 4, he says a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Now, if we were in control, we'd take these as a buffet, right? So, uh, yeah, I'll take a little bit of the laughing, please, and just add a side of dancing. Um, not too much because I'm Baptist, amen? Um, but, but we're just going to pick and choose a little bit. That's an inside joke from last summer's sermon, if you remember that. Um, somebody asked the question. I won't point them out, but they are here. Asked the question, are Baptists allowed to drink gamble or dance and I was like okay we can do this and then the crowd just like packed out that day it was so funny as I was covering these controversial topics but um um, Solomon says there's a time for it right so um but but if we were in control we would say yeah let me just take a little bit of that like I'll take the born but let's like not take the die I'll take the healing but I don't want to take the hurting I'll I'll take the laughing but not the weeping I'll take the dancing but not the mourning but we are not in control of what we get to pick and choose Right? Like, this is not a buffet. This is just things that happen in this sin cursed world. And we don't control it. All right? Verse 5 A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Now, this one I had to look up because I was like, what, what's he talking about there? And I found out that actually when they conquered enemies, and some of you are like, man, Pastor, you should have known this. But, but when they conquered enemies, what they would often do is they'd take stones and just throw them all over their fields to just destroy their fields. And I was like, wow, that's pretty low. And um, as I was thinking about it, I was like, we should try that with someone. No, I'm just kidding. Um, as I was thinking about that, I, I wondered, I wonder if that's where forking originated. If you don't know what forking is, um, it's a thing that teenagers do where they'll go in their friend's yard, they'll take plastic forks, and they'll fork um, the yard, and then they'll go just far enough away so that they fork it again so that you have to bend down for every fork. It's a prank. And, and they'll do that just, just to mess with people. And I'm like, I wonder if that's maybe where that started. Um, I didn't do that except once, okay? Um, but it was a friend. It was a friend. And we, we had to help him clean it. Um, but anyways, uh, let's keep going. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Now, when I read this, I actually laughed because I was thinking about our church because there's some of you that are like all about that hug. So, so I'll be in the back and you'll just go in for the hug. And some of you are like, no, nah, more of a, of a handshaker. I'm not naturally a hugger, actually. So I'm fine with the handshake. But some people just go in for the hug. So I'm like, handshake, hug, handshake, hug. And some of you are just like, let's skip it all, right? Like, let's just, let's just leave, right? Um, we don't want to even deal with that. I won't mention any names again. Um, but, but, right, so I was thinking about our church. Like, there's a time to embrace. Oh, no, not, not with this one. We'll just shake, right? Like, so um, I was thinking about that. But, but really, if you think about there's times where someone just needs a hug. And there's other times where you might want to just back off, right? Like, that's what he's saying here. And then he goes on in verse 6, a time to get and a time to lose. So you could put it this way. It's a, there's a time to buy socks, and then there's a time to lose them and then go have to buy them again. I feel like a Bermuda Triangle just follows me around um, to absorb my socks. I remember when I went to um, live on my own for the first time, and I was like, it's just me here. Like, just me in this house. I'm not going to lose any socks. This is going to be great. I do the laundry, so I'm going to control... Still lost socks. It's like, it's like right in the dryer, just one gets sucked and it's gone forever, right? Um, but, but sometimes there's a time to get and sometimes you just, there's a time to lose. That's just part of life. A time to keep and a time to cast away. So some of us have those clothes in our closet that we think 
Maybe one day I'll be able to fit back into that, or maybe maybe one day that's going to be in style again. No, no, there's a time to cast away, right? Just get rid of it. Verse 7, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Some of us need to take that little bit as wisdom, right? A time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. Now, these last four lines don't need a lot of explaining, but you see what Solomon is doing here. He's He's trying to lay out a broad picture of our existence here on this earth. He's just throwing out polar opposites to show you that there's times for this and there's times for that. And, and it's really quite beautiful. It's a beautiful line of poetry. Um, and it's often read at funerals. You, you may have heard it read at funerals. I've actually seen non-Christians um, that have, have uh, referenced this text in funerals. Because it is somewhat of a beautiful poetry until we get sucker punched by Solomon in verse 9. And if, if you notice, in verse 8 is normally where they stop at the funeral, right? Um, but verse 9 is kind of part of his whole package here. And so we're going to look at the next section and call it the God-given task. In verse 9 it says this, What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. So this is why people normally stop at verse 8. So he just lists all these things that are kind of sad, but joyful, happy, you know, whatever. But it's a beautiful piece of art. And, and then he's just like, well, what's the profit of all of our labor, right? Like going back to classic Solomon positivity here, he's pointing out the vanity of life with the redundancy of it all. And um, interestingly, you math whizzes out there, there's 14 positives and 14 negatives. So um, what do you get there if you do the net gain there? You get zero, right? Like That's kind of what he's doing here. He's pointing out that you can work really, really hard to try to create a perfect life. And, and you can make sure you try to add all these positives to your life. But there's still the opposite. There's still the negative, And it's going to happen. And you can't stop it from happening. So stop trying. That's what he's getting us to do again. Somewhat negative, but again, he has a point. And we're like, man, Solomon, you were doing so good. Like, we were, we were enjoying this poem and laughing, and it was so great. And, and then you had to say that. Like, what's the profit of it all? But again, he's trying to make a point. So let's look at verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. If you look at that, that word world there, it can actually also be translated eternity in that there's a deep desire and a longing in us for something more than this life, but we just can't grasp it. We can't figure it out. In verse 12, I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. So what Solomon is saying here is he's saying, listen, God is in control and he's making everything beautiful in his time. He's placed eternity in our hearts so that we know there's more than this and we know there's got to be something more. And we kind of see the redundancy of this life and, and we search for things, but in the end we can't figure it out. And so what he says is, listen, good seasons come and bad seasons come and it's all part of the bigger picture that we will never fully understand on this life. That's what he's saying. So enjoy life. Eat, drink, work hard, and fear God. He's up to something way bigger than we can fully understand. Stop trying to control it. 
Right? If, you're, if you're like me, like I'm, a, I'm kind of a control type person. So I like to control every day. I like to control my, my minutes and my hours. Like if you saw my schedule in a week, you'd be like, you're just weird. I just like to have it all perfect and in line. I like to plan out months ahead. And, and in the end, um, we can do that. But let's remember who's ultimately in control and stop trying to create something that we can't have any power over in the end anyways. So often this controllingness of us Wants to make everything perfect. But Solomon's saying, look, you are not in control. And these things that I just listed are going to happen in your life. Verse 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. So what he's saying is, listen, God is in control and ultimately there's nothing you can do to change what he has purposed to take place. Now this can get some pretty deep questions, right? We can, we can have some talks and well, how does prayer work and how does this work? We can get into all that. But right now what Solomon's trying to get us to realize is God is in control. And then he does this, he puts these things in our life ultimately so that we would recognize him, that we'd fear him. That we'd realize the good is from him and the bad doesn't happen apart from his sovereign care. And, and, and so we realize that, that God is in control. That's what he's trying to get us to say. Solomon is saying God has a plan and you should stop trying to figure it out. Because he did, right? He tried to figure it out and he's like, it was exhausting. Like, I thought maybe we should just chase pleasure and that didn't work. So I chased wisdom and that didn't work. And I chased toil and I built these great big buildings and that didn't work. And, and so he's saying, listen, there's a season for all this stuff. But in the end, God is in control. So stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to figure it out. Now, I want to try to show you a few verses to help with this, because oftentimes in our view, especially in America, we have this view of God um, because because here in America, we're free. And so we can be self-made people, right? We can work hard and we can make something of ourselves. So we, we kind of get this idea that we are in control, right? that we are the sovereign. And it kind of diminishes our view of God. And, and what, what I just said about America isn't bad. It's good that we can work hard and, and be successful. But it does diminish our view of who's ultimately in control at times. And sometimes we have a view of God as someone who kind of wound up this clock, just let it go, and just kind of watches us. That, that's our view of God. Like he, He's ultimately in control, but kind of the, the little stuff here and there, He's not really in control. But that is not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that God is intricately involved in even the most minute details of our lives. He's very much a part of everything that we do on this earth. He is, he is in this room right now. He is in this room. We have the presence of God among us right now. He's here. Recognize that. He's involved in what's taking place. He, he brought you to this church. He plugs you in here for a purpose. And, and we, can, we can fight his plans and we can thwart his purposes. And he does allow us a little limited amount of ability to kind of make choices and have reactions from those choices. But ultimately, he is in control. And so I want to read a couple verses to help with you. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. If you want to write that down and look at it, um, or you can just hear it. It says this, remember the former things of old. God is talking here. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Okay, so he's saying, listen, I am God, I'm altogether different from you, and there's no one in my category. 
Okay, like I'm God, there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. So don't try to compare me to your self-made idols. Don't try to put me in a box. Don't try to give me a description that is not true of me. In verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. See, that's just one glimpse of the God that the scriptures paint for us, a God who is very much in control of everything, even the chaos sometimes in the news. And I've said this before, but in the, in the time of history, the darkest moment of all history, when it seemed like God was out of control, when they were nailing his son to a cross, he was very much in control. He had ordained that that take place through the human choices of men. Like, don't ask me, don't, don't try to ask me to explain how he does that. I don't understand it fully. But God says, listen, I have determined, I've declared the end from the beginning, and I have determined that my counsel will stand, that I will ultimately do all that I want to accomplish. And that's, that's what it paints for us. And if you go there in Isaiah 46 and you keep reading, he, he goes on and he says that actually a bird doesn't come and hunt its prey apart from me telling it to do that. And a man doesn't leave one country and move to another country apart from me telling him to do that. Now, this is very foreign to us, and this is going to bring up some questions. Um, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to tell us that a bird doesn't fall to the ground apart from his father. He's going to say, um, the Bible's going to teach us in Psalm 139 that you were knit together in your mother's womb. So that there are, there are aspects about you that God was very much in control. Okay, and, and to give you an example of this, my dad is a very loud, loud person. Like, he'll be walking through Walmart on his phone, and people will be like, man, he's so loud. Like, he's, yeah, how's it going, right? Like, he's just got this loud voice. And, and the Bible teaches us that God gave that to him and said, you know, he's going to be a preacher, so let's throw a little bit extra vocal cords in there, right? Like, like, so, listen, at some point, you have got to stop trying to be someone else. You've got to stop, and you've got to recognize God made me who I am. God gave me this frame. God gave me these abilities. God gave me these desires. And, and, and you've got to understand that and recognize that and stop trying to chase something or someone else. We're going to keep going in Acts 17. Paul is preaching and he's talking about how the, the, the very places where people live were determined beforehand. That God set up boundaries and it's like, all right, you're going to live here, you're going to live here. Some of you are like, yeah, I remember when I decided I was going to move up to Port Austin and, and uh, I thought it was a really good decision for us. And, and God's like, no, no, that was actually my decision. And he goes on to say that, that, that those around us, that if, if they do choose to seek after God, that God's not very far from them. And so that gives us some excitement in our evangelism, like the neighbors that are around me, God wants me to reach with the gospel. God wants me to show them the love of Christ. Look, and we, we could go on and on and on with verse after verse after verse about how God is very much intricately involved in everything while still allowing us to make choices to have consequences for those choices. Don't ask me to explain that again because I can't. But I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches. And so with that in mind, as we look back at all these seasons that Solomon just mentioned, these are not just random events. These are very much part of a bigger picture that we're not going to understand this side of heaven a lot of times. And so you ask me, the good things, yes, they, they, they pass through his hands. The bad things, yes, they pass through his hands. 
He didn't originate the bad things. The Bible says he's not the author of sin, but the, the scriptures also teach nothing can happen to us apart from his sovereign care. And so the, even the, the trials and the tragedies that you just have no idea why they're there, they pass through the hand of your loving father before it happened to you. And again, this can be hard to comprehend because we do sin and there are consequences to our sin. And, and some of us are dealing with the consequences of sin right now. But, but that's not ultimately what he's trying to get to. He's saying, listen, everything, everything, everything passes through the hand of God. God is in control. God is sovereign. And all those things that Solomon just mentioned in his poem pass through the hands of God before they reached us. Now that's confusing, but it's also comforting. And here's why. Because I know a lot of people who love to eat cake. But I don't know a lot of people who like eating flour. Right? Like if you see a guy just like scarfing down some flour, you're like, oh, what's wrong with that guy? Right? But a lot of people love cake. You see what I'm saying? Flour is necessary to make the cake. And when we look at that verse where it says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. What he's saying is all those things that I just mentioned are ingredients in your life to do something beautiful. And a lot of times we're just dealing with the flour and we can't see the cake. Paul's going to elaborate on this more in Romans chapter 8 and it's so beautiful and it's so comforting for us. It says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So before you were born, if you're a Christian today, before you were born, God knew you intimately and determined that you would be conformed into the image of Jesus. And so that can't happen apart from some bad things happening. Because we won't learn to love like Jesus loved unless there's some unlovable people in our lives. The, the, the scriptures say that Jesus learned obedience as, as he was going through these different trials. And, and we have to learn that as well. Listen, we know this with every area of our life. If we want to work out and get stronger, we know there's going to be some pain involved before there's some growth. Same with just regular growth. We know that in studying, there's going to be some, some struggles. Getting in that textbook and trying to learn it and, and then being ready for that test. There's always some struggles that we go through, but then that leads to growth. And listen, if we were in control, we would never have the mourning. We would only have the dancing. We would never have the weeping. We would only have the laughing. And, and we would be spoiled brats. God is doing something beautiful in your life. And so when the trials come, rather than buck against them and get angry and upset, recognize that that trial passed through the very hand of your loving Father and He's doing something with it. Again, I know this is hard. There's some, there are some painful moments in my life where at the time I did not understand. And I questioned. Listen, it, it's okay to ask questions. You read the Psalms. Man, these, they, they were asking questions. I mean, it's raw emotion. Look at Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why? Why hast thou forsaken me? No answer. God didn't answer him. Listen, there's going to be times in our life where we don't understand why these trials are happening. And I've been there and it's dark and I don't get it. And sometimes years later I see it. Okay, God was doing something there and sometimes I still have no idea what he was doing. But I trust him. Because he's making everything beautiful in his time. 
So listen, when, when we're going through those good times, what do we do when we're on that mountaintop? We laugh, we enjoy it, we celebrate it, we dance, we savor those moments, and we trust Him. And when we're down in the valley and we're crying and we're mourning and we're hurting and we're weeping, we trust Him. He's making everything beautiful in His time. It's, it's very hard for us, again, because we just see this broken piece of glass But see, God is in another category and he sees the beautiful stained glass window. He's doing something in your life. And so what Solomon is trying to get us to do by listing all of these different moments that we're going to experience, he's trying to get us to say, he's saying, stop trying to control your life. Stop trying to just pick and choose what you're going to go through and make it perfect because you can't, you're not in control. Instead, trust God with your life. And realize he has everything under control. Trust God with your life and realize he has everything under control. Everything. Trust him. He's got this. Stop trying to control things. Just trust him. Again, in the darkest moment of eternity while Jesus was on that cross, you know what he had to do? He had to trust. And the scriptures say that That for the joy that was set before him, he could see something that wasn't here yet but was coming. He could see God reconciling sinners to himself. He could see that God was one day going to save you and me. And and he could see that there was going to be sinners rescued from hell. He could see a host of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation saying, worthy is the Lamb. He could see it, but it wasn't there yet. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross for us. He suffered in our place. He took the penalty for our sin. And in that dark moment on the cross, he trusted his heavenly father. And listen, we're going to go through some really, really, really dark times in this life. But we just trust him. He's making everything beautiful in his time. So in the highest of highs, trust him. And during the lowest of lows, trust him. He's up to something way bigger than any of us can ever truly understand.